Welcome to the Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company. Hello from Temple Bar, Dublin.
That opening track was called London Town. It was written by fiddle player and Portland resident Kevin Burke and it tells the story of the Irish in London in the 1950s and 60s. And there's a really beautiful descriptive video on YouTube that goes with that London Town. This week we feature part two of our chat with Kevin Burke and our conversation continued when I asked Kevin about his collaboration with the wonderful Michal O'Donnell. Yeah, when we were still in Ireland, um, we shared a house. We were, li- we were living in the same house. And um, what would often happen, um, people would ask, can the Bothy Band come and play at such and such a place, you know? Uh, we're opening a school or we're having a little festival or and sometimes the answer was no we can't do it for what you know many reasons um but a couple of us could do it maybe maybe matt and donald would go and do it you know the whole band couldn't go but two or three of us could go so on on occasions like that because Michal and I were in the same house, it was often convenient for himself and myself to be the kind of Bothy Band representatives for various events. And again, because we were living together, we'd often play at home just for the crack, you know, the two of us, uh, and and put sets of tunes together. And, and gradually our duo developed a bit. You know, mm. and uh, you know we might go and do support to somebody, do the first half of the gig, and then somebody might say, we "Come and play at our place," uh, and we'd have to do the whole night. So we think, "Oh, geez, we better rustle up." And of course, a lot of the Buffy Band material, uh, while it works really well for a six-piece band, it might not work that well for fiddle and guitar. You know, so we had to do other things and gradually we we built up our own little concert show and then we did a couple of tours in Brittany and Ireland and England and then we decided we'd come over to America so we did it a couple of times and it wasn't it wasn't very successful but it seemed obvious that the prospects were good there's a lot of people here who don't know anything about this kind of music, but I strongly suspected once they heard it, they'd like it and they'd really enjoy it. Uh, and of course, that's what happened. You know, the 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 chieftains were playing in America. River Dance, of course, brought attention to Irish music in America. And you know, now when you go to uh, uh, a record shop, if you can find a record shop anymore, uh, there's an Irish section. You know, people people know what Irish music is now. They know what it sounds like, whether they like it or not. They know what it sounds like. Whereas back in the early eighties, when Michal and I came here first, if you said Irish music, it meant nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. Some people might think of uh, the Clancy Brothers um, you know, uh, folk songs sung by guys in big sweaters and red beards, you know, probably singing about their mother. That's the vision most people had of Irish music, you know. 
and the idea of singing songs in in Irish yeah. in the Irish language and playing this whole wealth of music this this whole wealth of uh, instrumental music uh, nobody or very few people the Irish community knew about it of course but the average music community didn't know about it you know um, so we thought I bet they'd enjoy this and gradually we developed a following and people did like it and got very interested in traditional music and you know, I still meet people today who say oh I remember seeing you and me hall 40 years ago <laughs> That was beautiful. It was, <laughs> it was a, it was to me. It always seemed like a, a natural combination. Another natural combination, actually, that struck me after that was the Celtic Fiddle Festival. Uh, oh, I, yeah. you know, that was just. <laughs> I just. I was taken by that. I just felt there was an amazing energy off that. Oh yeah, that was that was great crack. Yeah. Um, Johnny Cunningham, the, the great Scottish fiddler, uh, came to live in America a couple of years after me and we were we were both we were both uh, kind of out on a limb out on our own you know <clears throat> um but he lived on the east coast he lived in pennsylvania um but occasionally we'd meet you know he'd be out here doing gigs so i'd go along to his gigs and vice versa i'd he's doing a gig and He'd come to my gigs, and I, I might I might stay with him for a night or two, and we always had the best of fun, you know. Uh, and of course, the Scottish repertoire and the Irish repertoire is very different, but there is a bit of an overlap. And of course, he knew he knew about the Botty Band, and I knew about Silly Wizard, yeah. and uh, so we had a good old connection. And, and one one night we. Uh, you know, as I said, we'd sometimes play at each other's gigs. You know, I'd go along to his gig and he'd get me up for a few tunes at the end of the night and then play something together. And people asked us, would you would you be interested in playing together as a duo? So we decided, yeah, we'd give that a shot. But then we found out that most people weren't interested. <laughs> and one... They said, if you know Kevin and Johnny, and it, it's the Kevin and Johnny show, it's great on crack, you know. Yeah. But if you don't know what you're getting, it doesn't inspire much interest, you know. Mm. But someone suggested if there was another element um, and you could sell the music rather than the, the personalities, you know. Uh, so we thought, well... It'd be great to get some Breton music over here. The, the Americans were beginning to know about Scottish and Irish music, but Breton music was still a mystery to most of them, you know. Um, and we knew this great fiddler over there, uh, Christian Lamette. So we asked him would he come, you know. And uh, he said, sure. So set off, we did this tour more or less as a lark. It was basically an excuse for Johnny and myself to hang out with each other for three weeks and we thought we'd bring Christian along for, for the ride, you know. And we had, uh, there was a guitarist, John McGann, in uh, in uh, Boston that Johnny knew very well. So he was our accompanist and um, we thought it would just be a one-off tour, you know. But it it proved to be so successful that before the tour was finished, uh, 
we had a tour booked for the following year. Um, so we decided to do a record. Uh, so we'd have something to sell the, uh, for the second tour, you know. Um, and then uh, Christian was saying, he'd, would it be possible to bring a, a Breton accompanist who understood the Breton music <laughs> a bit more, you know? So we we said sure, yeah. So we had we had the Swai Sibiril with us for a while, who's another fantastic guitar player. Um, and then he kind of got uh, uh, his own solo career going. Uh, so then we had Jed Foley for a while, um, uh, and now playing with Nicola Kemenea, who you might remember from Arcady. Um, so along the way, of course, Johnny died, so we didn't know what to do then. That that really messed us up, you know. We we uh, we had a tour all set to go, but the idea of doing it without Johnny just seemed to horrendous you know and lots of lots of lads lots of scottish lads offered their services you know and we we were very grateful but then we started to think you know bringing in another scottish fiddler will actually make it feel like to replace johnny it just didn't seem right you know so we we decided well first of all we were going to cancel the tour but we had a lot of prompting from Johnny's friends and from Phil, his brother. Don't cancel the tour. Johnny would hate that, you know. Um, so we decided to keep the tour alive. Uh, and we we asked um, this great fiddler from Quebec, André Brunet, who I had met with La Boutine Suriante, a great uh, Quebec band, um, asked him if he'd come along and join us, you know. And we thought, we'll just do this one tour. It's already been booked, so we'll finish that, and that'll be the end of it, probably. But Andre was a breath of fresh air. We were all very sad, you know. It was very close to Johnny's death, only a month or two later. Um, but Andre's spirits are so buoyant, and his music is so energetic. And, uh, you know, a very sensitive guy, but at the same time, he kept the spirits really buoyed up you know and we we probably couldn't have done it without him so it turned out to be the perfect choice so he uh he was with us probably for another 10 years and uh he he's playing in a band with his brothers right now up there in quebec uh so we went back to scotland and we got charlie mccarran to join us so he's current uh scottish fiddler so it continues that's fantastic to hear you were also at the foundation of Patrick Street, were you? Yeah. That's yeah. like, I mean, that's an institution in itself. I mean, you recorded so many <laughs> albums with that band. Yeah. Um, How did that emerge? Well, let's see now. Andy Irvin and Jerry O'Byrne were playing as a duet. And I went along to a couple of the gigs and it got me up to play a few things with them. And... The next, they said we should go out as a trio, so I joined them for the for the next tour, and um, I was saying, uh, yeah, we should do this again, Les. But if we do it again, 
I feel a bit top heavy, you know, the, the fiddler and the two accompanists. <laughs> uh, if there was another instrumental player, it might work a bit better. So we got Jackie Daly involved. Good combination. Um, and around that same time, Jerry was living in Los Angeles and he he was interested more in um, uh, pursuing his solo career when we were making noises about forming a band and kind of taking this on full-time, Jerry said, I don't know if I want to do it full-time. So we got Artie in, uh, to come and play. He'd, Artie had played with Andy. I'd never met Artie before. Um, but on the say-so of Jackie and Andy, I said, fine. And, of course, we met up and started playing together, and that was... A dream too. Another fellow who sadly recently passed away. Um, so playing without he was a great buzz, um, and that's what set. That's when we became Patrick Street. What year was that? I'd say it was probably maybe in the mid eighties. Well, I mean, you were there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not good with dates. <laughs> <laughs> you feel, you, you've just been involved in so many different sort of musical journeys, but at the same time, you've always fallen in with people that are of a, a similar musical mind to yourself, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you kind of have to go along with what's there, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot of it, all good by the sounds of all of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I was just... I. When 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 Patrick Street started, we didn't know what to call ourselves, and lots of bands, Irish bands, have trouble in America, especially with the Irish words. You know, the people can't pronounce the words, yeah. and you know we were. Uh, Jackie was telling the stories about uh, people uh, mispronouncing the Danon, you know, yeah. the different things they got called because people couldn't get their heads around the Danon. And, of course, we had a lot of the same problem with the Bothy band. So uh, we came up with the idea of Patrick Street, and we thought, well, that's a great name. Like, every town in Ireland probably has it's a Patrick Street, you know, so it represents everywhere in Ireland, and it kind of brings in the urban thing as well as the... Um, you know, the lambs on the green hills, that bucolic stuff, you know, it's nice to kind of refer to the towns as well. And, of course, it's the main street in Cork, which is Jackie's County. So, and, and, and you know, when people see Patrick, they think of it's an Irish name, you know. So people who wouldn't be that familiar with us, they might get the hint it's an Irish group. So we thought, this is a great name, you know. So our very first gig, I was in the loo, <laughs> and, and I overheard some people talking it was in Birmingham, Alabama and I overheard someone talking and say, so is this guy Patrick Street any good? <laughs> <laughs> and the other fella says I don't, I don't know, I've never heard him but I tell you, the, the guys in his band are really good <laughs> <laughs> So, so the, anybody ever discover which of, which of you were Patrick? <laughs> exactly so we started making reservations for Mr. Patrick Street. <laughs> Again, you know, a wonderful uh, contribution to the whole traditional music scene and its development. But you find yourself then, as you did, 
at Tradfest. I heard you actually in Boston some years ago at Tommy McCarthy's place. You did a solo gig, uh, Kevin oh, yeah. Burke and his fiddle. And this is something you came in and played at Tradfest uh, in January and played in the Pepper Canister Church there. And it was Kevin Burke and his fiddle. Is that somewhere you like to be, just yourself on stage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, again, I, I can't remember exactly when the idea came to me, but it was here in the States. I I was meeting a lot of people who had come to Irish music uh, as adults, you know, from the those great recordings we've been talking about, Dead Dan and Planksty, the Chieftains, the Botty Band. And I was I was just wondering if those people knew what it was like before those groups came along, like the the music that I grew up with, you know, listening to Paddy Taylor, listening to Bobby Casey. And, of course, a lot of the time that music would be played by one guy. Uh, it wasn't always uh, the trio or the... Or the, the um, the Glenside Cayley Band. The Cayley Band, yeah, you know. Um, Fred Finn and Peter Horan, you know, the two of them playing together, but they'd, they'd often play a few tunes on their own, each of them. Uh, listening to Sean Maguire, you know, he'd play maybe with an accompanist, but maybe not, you know. He'd do, probably do a bunch of stuff on his own. When people came to the house, it was usually just one guy playing on his own. Um at the Flag Hill, at the competitions, it's a guy playing on his own. So um, I just thought people probably don't realise that this started out life kind of as a, as a solo, unaccompanied uh, music. The, the fella at home in his, in his cottage would probably be playing on his own to an audience of five or six people, you know, playing for a half set couple of the neighbours and the family, you know. Um, so I just thought I should do a few gigs and see if people would like that. And, of course, I got a lot of resistance, you know, like, what, no accompanist? What, no singer? Oh, I don't know about that. But after a year or two, it actually changed. You know, I'd get these phone calls, or the agent would get phone calls saying, we'd, we'd like to hire Kevin, but would, would he mind very much... If he did it unaccompanied, would he be okay doing it on his own? You know, um, so of course a lot of people started to to like it, you know, and in a way it's a lot harder because you're totally exposed uh, being up there on your own. Uh, but on the other hand, it's a lot easier because you don't you can play whatever comes into your head, you know, and if you make a mistake. Nobody knows. You just go around again and try and get it right next time. You know, <laughs> you don't have some cross musician who's been arguing with you all day in the van anyway, <laughs> glowering at you. Oh, yeah. you Here you we go. The... <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like it is daunting, no question about that. But, I mean, you mentioned there that, you know, the, its origins was probably the solo fiddle player or flute player playing and a few people listening. But you're getting up on a stage in front of a few hundred people and uh, a challenge in that 
to be able to control that environment as a soloist difficult? Well, um, I think it helps if if the audience gets some understanding of why you do this and why you like it. Just a little glimmer of information and something to help them realise what this tune means to me or what this set of tunes means to me or what this what this whole genre of music means to me and, and how I learned it and why I learned it, you know. So I usually mention, you know, the people like Bobby Casey and uh, uh, Con Curtin and Roger Sherlock, you know, these people that I knew growing up in London, let people know that I learned this in London, not in the west of Ireland, even though the influences are very much from the west of Ireland. But geographically, I got it together in London, you know. Um, and uh, why a piece of music interests me. Um, and I think, especially with the solo instrument, they appreciate a little bit of information, especially here in America. Because, to be honest, a lot of people didn't grow up with this music and they, they don't know the difference between a reel and a jig. And they don't know... Um, the historical context, you know, what, um, like I'm, if I play or Carolyn tunes, you know, I usually tell them this is this was going on around the time of the um, the end of the Baroque period, you know, because mm. the, if they've got any musical knowledge at all, Baroque period is a phrase they understand, you know, they might not know the exact dates, but they know it wasn't uh, it wasn't six months ago, you know. And then, you know, a lot of these guys that I knew were such amazing people to be with. I, I often like to give them some idea of what, uh, what Martin Burns was like uh, so that they'd know a little bit more about why I was charmed by uh, the likes of Roger Sherlock and the likes of Raymond Rowland and what they meant to me. And again, you know, I was a child... These fellas were men, you know, grown men with families and working all day and, uh, you know, rent pay and mortgages to pay. And I was 12 or 15. I wasn't thinking in those terms at all. But when it came to the music, I felt really close to them, you know. So... Uh, I so try and get that across when I'm doing the solo gig. It's it's a bit like this conversation. It seems to have gone the full musical circle there because we started <laughs> out uh, talking about that. And it's wonderful to hear, but thinking of yourself and uh, PJ Crotty heading off to Denmark all those years ago on your first kind of paid professional gig and, you know, all that has happened since then is just quite phenomenal. You're living in Portland, Kevin, uh, in yeah. Portland, Oregon. And, of course, Portland has been hitting the headlines for all sorts of reasons uh, yeah, uh, of late. Yeah. So has that affected you? Has it affected what you do? Uh, not really. Um, the rioting that you've seen on the news is confined to a very small area downtown. So unless you go to that specific area, you won't see or hear anything going on. Like, like you, I see it on the news, you know. I don't look out my window and see it or walk down the street and see it. Um, the virus, of course, is another ordeal that we have to deal with, but so does, you know, that's 
worldwide, more or less. Um, but the most recent thing that uh, came on top of all that was uh, forest fires. Um, Oregon, this this western side of Oregon is heavily forested. Uh, historically, it's been known as a logging area. We still have vast forests, uh, and occasionally, uh, because of the hot summers, there's uh, there's a fire, you know. But usually, the the, the fires don't encroach on the urban areas. Um, but this year, a few small fires started up, and then we were hit with very unseasonable winds, high winds, um, which of course made the fires spread. So um, a week or two ago, uh, it turned out that Portland was surrounded by fires, and whichever way the wind blew, we got the smoke. We were no, we were never in danger from the fire itself, but the smoke made the air quality so bad that for a period of three or four days, uh, you couldn't really go out. You know, uh, for a period of about a week, the air was bad, but at its most intense, it was too it was too bad to even go out for a walk. You know. Um, but luckily, the rains came. We had a couple of showers that quieted down the fires. The winds died down. Um, so this last week or so, we've been uh, in pretty good shape with the weather. And the, the smoke also quelled the riots to a large extent. Um, but I've heard lately they're, uh, they're uh, starting up again, but it doesn't seem quite as intense as it was a month ago. And COVID-19, you mentioned that there, it has affected everybody, of course, in that it yeah. has stopped everybody in their tracks. What have you been doing during this time? Have you been getting new material together? Have you been doing any bit of playing so, or recording? What have you been doing? One thing I did in the early part of the, of the pandemic was I, I put together a compilation CD. I... Um, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, um, I decided I didn't want to be part of a record company anymore. So I started putting out my own CDs. I became my own record company. Good if man. you can't beat them, join them, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to be part of a record company, so I became a record company. Impresario, it's Kevin Burke. Kind of daft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mogul, mogul. Um <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I realised there um, a while back, I put out a CD called Sligo Maid, M-A-D-E, get it? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Because <laughs> I made it in Sligo, you know? <laughs> um, so I put out that CD and the 10th one uh, with my record company, which is called Loftus Music. So... Uh, after the 10th CD, I thought maybe it would be an idea to put out a compilation, a, a track or two from each one of the 10 albums. And so Patrick Street is on there, Tick Fiddles. I did a couple of albums with a, with a guy called Cal Scott, who lives here locally. Uh, in fact, he one of the one of the things we did together at the top of the programme. Um, so, uh, and a couple of solo CDs as well, of course. Um 
I did an electric CD with a fella called John Brennan, great electric player, electric guitar player. Um, so I put together a compilation CD called Travels with Loftus Music. Um, so that that came out uh, a couple of months ago, but I haven't really toured with it or advertised it because uh, I don't know what the situation is about traveling i'm saving it but it's available if anyone's interested yeah and that's my question for you actually kevin where is it available uh kevinburke.com website uh has a has a page where you can uh, delve into all the different products i have for sale i put out a tune book recently uh, um which is transcriptions from some of my early cds we wrote out uh, if the cap fits uh, in its entirety, uh, with bowings for the fiddlers and the different variations to the tunes as I played them on the record, you know. Mm. Uh, and we did certain tracks from a few other CDs that I made as well. The book is called The Solo Albums. And uh, some of the shops in Ireland uh, have it, uh, Cladder Records, before the pandemic. Uh, the book came out before the pandemic, so I was able to get it to a few of the few of the shops uh, Walton's have it I think and, uh, but I don't know if they're operating these times so again uh, that's available uh, mail order from kevinburke.com Okay glad to get that information from you Kevin uh, interesting projects to be working on that's what you've been working on have you been listening to anything different then during this period of lockdown six months now it's so hard to believe Yeah God it's a long time I should mention too, I've been doing a lot of online teaching as well. And are you available for that if people want to get lessons? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, drop me a line, my email, solo at kevinburke.com. Drop me a line and uh, we can arrange something. This is not for me, if, though, if, you know. If you can, <laughs> oh, I thought you'd finally come <laughs> over to our side. <laughs> <laughs> Solo at kevinburke.com yeah, for teaching S-O-L-O. lessons. Yeah, no, yeah. that's good. That's, that's brilliant to hear. Uh, so for the people in Ireland, though, I'm eight hours behind. That's okay. So not to not to contact you too early in the morning. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So we're, we're mindful of that. But have you been listening to other music then during I this have, time? Have you? What have you been listening to? The new recording that I've been listening to is is by John and James Carty. The Wavy Bow Collection. The Wavy Bow Collection. Listen to today, actually. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I, 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 um, I got a copy of it um, a couple of weeks ago, and I barely stopped uh, listening to it. So that's my that's my uh, favorite of the new recordings. Uh, and as for the what I've been listening, what else I've been listening to, Paddy Cronin great Kerry fiddler used to live in Boston and there's a there's a a square in Boston called Copley Square and for a brief time Copley was the name of a record company and Paddy did four or five I don't know were they seventy eights or was it an EP or I've never I've never physically seen the discs i've only had recordings of them uh, but uh 
some of his finest playing, I think. Um, so I came across those uh, on my on my uh, computer there recently. Started playing them again. So I've been listening. I've been listening to those, um, and I, I've also been listening to a few singers. Um, I I bumped into a lad. I was over in Ireland there about a month ago, and uh, in Partry, just outside of Westport, I bumped into a lad. Who turned out he was the son of Frank Hart, the great Ooh. Dublin singer. So when I got home, I was you know when I got back to Portland, I was thinking I haven't heard Frank for so long. So I dug out some of my old recordings. The first one, I think it was his first one, one he did with Don Lunny, with uh, Dicey Riley on it and uh, a few other great songs. I've been listening to that one, and I've also been listening to. Uh, Joe Heaney, and a, a great English singer called Nick Jones, who I knew when, in the folk club days, but Nick had a really bad accident and hasn't been able to perform for the last 20, 30 years. Uh, and uh, Joe Heaney, I knew him, I knew him slightly. He'd, he'd be an occasional visitor to London. But when I, when I went to New York first, he was really kind and helpful to me. And again, he's, uh, you know, a, a, a severe looking kind of gruff sounding man, but uh, a beautiful soul. And uh, he really was uh, uh, very reassuring to me when, when I was uh, feeling very lonely and lost in New York City. Uh, and of course, I always loved his music ever since I was a boy, you know. Uh, so I've been listening to some of his old recordings as well. So you haven't travelled too far, really, to be listening to all that music when you consider John Carty and Joe Heaney and Frank Hart. Uh, Frank's been celebrated at the moment, actually, here uh, for his contribution, so that's fantastic to hear. I don't know when we will get to see you performing again, Kevin, because of uh, with the way things are here, certainly with COVID-19, but uh, presume you had plans, so have you put them into abeyance? <laughs> well when when the when the lockdowns hit I was rehearsing with Andy Irvin, Paul Brady oh. and Don Lunny and it, it was just a few days before our first concert that we found out the tour was cancelled um, so that was postponed until September yeah. which is now yes. But as you probably notice, we're not doing it now. <laughs> so it was it was postponed again, uh, and at the moment March twenty one is when we're supposed to hit the road. But of course, there's no guarantee that that'll happen. But that's the plan at the moment, okay. you know. And of course, I had lots of other. I had lots of solo work and work with uh, in other combinations. Uh, all of it gone for this year at least you know i'm i'm supposed to do a tour in austria in december with shamey o'dowd um but again that's very questionable god knows if that will ever happen but the the organizer is quite adamant that it is going to happen as of now but uh you know it depends on how things uh look over the coming weeks if things improve i'm sure 
it probably will happen. But if things get worse, then it probably won't. Well, and if people want their fill of Kevin Burke in the meantime, uh, kevinburke.com is the place to go for all you need to know. And solo at kevinburke.com if you want to seek out some fiddle lessons from the great man himself. Kevin, it's been a pleasure talking to you here on the podcast and we look forward to whenever we get a chance to meet and to listen to you again. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure for me too. Thanks for taking the time. It's, uh, it's great to have a chat with you. We'll have to do it face to face next time. That'll be our next project, Kevin. In a little hostelry somewhere. Socially distant. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, thanks a million. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tradfest podcast. For more information on Tradfest, go to tradfest.ie. Tradfest is brought to you by the Temple Bar Company.